Welcome back for another episode of Errant Adventures, the solo actual play podcast where stories are told at the speed of dice. With me, Steve Morrison, your game master and solo player. Now come on, let's grab the dice and see where our story goes. Hello and welcome. We are starting off a new mini-series with a new game that I have never played before. So there's going to be a little bit of an experiment for me, but it is by one of my favorite game designers, John Harper, who is the designer of Blades in the Dark, amongst many other games. And I have, I think, expressed my love for Blades in the Dark on the show before, but I'm not playing Blades in the Dark today. In fact, I'm going to be playing a game called Aegon. And I have been eyeballing Aegon since the first edition came around a few years ago, and it is a game about being mythic heroes in a Greek setting. You can play as actual Greek heroes with uh, who serve the Greek gods. You can also create your own setting with your own gods and your own heroes and rules and stuff like that. But I thought it would be fun to create a few characters and to play out uh, a few adventures with Aegon. And the way that this is going to work, because Aegon, unlike some of the other games that I have played, is not specifically for solo play. So I'm going to be kind of playing multiple characters in order to get a feel for the game as a whole, because Aegon requires a game master. The specific term for the Aegon game master is the strife player, and they are the one who governs the islands that your wandering band of heroes adventures to. And they manage the strife and present the world and help to interpret the dice rolls. And then you have a group of players who are each playing a mythic hero in this setting. So I thought it would be fun to create two characters and then play through and i've got the iron sworn oracles that's what i'm going to be using as my go-to oracle to determine yes no questions and i've got action and subject in there so i can roll stuff on that and then i'll try to keep that pretty simple so let's start off with some character creation just jump right in so like i said i'm going to create two characters and i'm just going to quickly walk through the steps here and show off how quick and easy it is to create characters in Aegon. so first we're going to record our hero's epithet there is a list on the sheet here of a variety of epithets or you could create your own now i went ahead and counted the epithets and there are 20 of them so in the grand tradition of solo gaming and rolling on tables to determine things, I'm going to roll a d20 and see what epithet I get for character number one. All right, I rolled a 15. So that is shadow wise. Interesting. And that is going to be rated as a d6. Now, the way that Aegon works is you create a dice pool based on your name, which is basically your legend as a mythic hero, your epithet, and a variety of other things that you can add into your dice pool. You roll your dice pool and then you keep the two best die and you add them together and you compare that against a target number. 
that the strife player sets. And that's how you determine if you are successful at overcoming or if you fail a contest. So we are starting off now with our epithet at a D6, which is the starting level. And my first character's epithet is Shadowwise. Now we are going to record our hero's name. So there are four lists of 17 names. So again, I'm just going to roll a D4 and then I'm going to have that decide which table I roll on. I'll roll the d20 and I'll just re-roll 18, 19s, and 20s. So my dice rolls are the first table and I rolled a 14 Eris or Aris. So Shadow Wise Aris. Next we're going to record our lineage. Name a mortal ancestor or choose a god for a parent. Choose a domain that suits your lineage and give it a d8. Your other domains are a d6. And there are four domains in Aegon. There's arts and oration, blood and valor, craft and reason, resolve and spirit. And those are probably pretty straightforward, but the way they work out is when you go into a contest, you are going to select which domain you're using, or sometimes the domain is selected for you depending on what kind of contest you're facing. And you are going to add that die into your dice pool. So, well, I don't know. Is Shadowwise Eris a demigod? I'm going to say let's let's do our first oracle roll here, and we're going to say fifty fifty. So fifty or below is a yes. Eight, eight is a yes for sure. So as Shadowwise, cunning is the domain of Hera, but insight is the domain of Hecate. And Hecate is like the goddess of magic. So I'm kind of, uh, I want to, I want to go with that. So, uh, Shadowwise Eris is the scion of Hecate. Is Eris male or female or ambiguous? Let's go one to two will be male, three to four female, five to six ambiguous. Three is female. So daughter of Hecate. Next, we're going to select a domain that suits the lineage. I feel like craft and reason, since that is like trickery, intrigue, those kinds of things is the one that makes the most sense. So I'm going to bump that up to a D8. And then the other three are going to be D6s. Now we're going to choose hero's current honored god and record two divine favor with them. You may choose a non-Olympian god as your honored god if you wish. Record three divine favor among the gods. Okay, so I think is Hecate Eris's honored god? I feel like that is pretty much a sure thing. So at 90 or less on the dice here, 26 is absolutely so. We're going to say Hecate is the honored god, and we're going to mark two ticks of divine favor. I think I am going to mark a divine favor for Hera. I like the idea of a divine favor for Hephaestus, for ingenuity. And then I'm thinking maybe Hermes as well for daring. So I've marked three additional marks of divine favor. Record your hero's style, look, armor, and favored weapon. So I think that she's going to be sharp-eyed, 
with dark armor, and I think her favored weapon is a bow. So she is sharp-eyed, compact, has dark armor, and a bow. That's her style. When everyone is ready, introduce your heroes and write the other heroes' names in the bond section of your hero sheet. Demigod heroes record one bond with each other hero and one bond with their divine ancestor. Mortal heroes record two bonds with each other hero. So effectively, we are done creating Shadowwise Eris. So let's switch over to our character number two, and we'll just do this real quick again. So we're going to roll a d20 for the epithet. Two this time, clear voiced. And a name. Let's roll our d4 and d20. Once again, on the first table, number 11, Aristos. So we've got Eris and Aristos. Now, is Aristos also a demigod? Uh, I think we'll say 50-50 again. And, you know, I'm even going to go so far as to say that it's likely. So we'll say 75 or less. 23 is a yes. And I am going to uh, make this kind of easy on myself and say that Aristos is also descended from Hecate. And they are going to be twins, twin children of Hecate. So we're going to make Hecate his honored god as well. I like the idea of it being a male and a female children, uh, twin pairing. And as far as marking a domain for their lineage, I think arts and oration makes sense. So we're going to mark that at D8 because he is clear voiced. So, and then we should mark three more divine favor. So I like as clear voiced. We're going to mark authority, one with Zeus, uh, maybe conviction, one with Demeter, and let's go with Athena for wisdom. So we've got three there. Going to pick out some more style. Um, I think he is going to be uh, graceful and flowing hair, bronze armor, and I think spear and shield will be his favored weapon. So once again, clear-voiced Aristos is graceful with flowing hair, bronze armor, a spear, and a shield as his favored weapon. And now we should create bonds. So each player gets a bond. So we're going to mark a bond with Eris for Aristos and a bond with Aristos for Eris. And then each also gets a bond with Hecate. And I may add some additional bonds in here as other characters crop up just because I am playing this solo and so I don't have a group of players sitting at the table. So I may use NPCs as bonds as well. Uh, we'll just have to see how this plays out. Now that the characters are made, uh, resolve the leadership contest of the voyage phase before starting the first island. I think that I'm going to skip the idea of the leadership phase because I have no other players at the table with me. So I'm going to give whoever uh, seems like they should have the leadership for each contest the leadership. 
and uh, go from there. So we're gonna we're gonna skip past that, and we are going to determine what island we are facing in this adventure. So there are a few sort of starter islands, and then there are additional islands as well. So there are six starter islands. So you know what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna roll a d6, and that's gonna determine what island we are using. And I rolled a four to Missos. The heroes must navigate a deadly labyrinth surrounding the resting place of long-forgotten heroes. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and begin. Sing, O muse, of shadow-wise Eris, and clear-voiced Aristos, the twin children of Hecate, as they stand aboard their ship, cutting through the wine-dark sea. The mists all around them, obscuring their passage. The oars slap against the waters below, and the mast creaks as the wind fills the sails. They stand upon the bow and look out. Out beyond the wine-dark sea. Out beyond the mists that obscure their vision. And then I think they see a little bit of light beginning to shine through. The mists, brother. The mists are beginning to part. So I see, dear sister. Perhaps the gods have smiled upon us today and we shall find land. Perhaps. The mists indeed part. And they see across that wine-dark sea the horizon. And there is a light blazing there. It's the sun, maybe? But no, how could that be? The sun is above them, blazing in the skies. Could it be some glimmer of their home? Some light to guide them there? In a flash, that light over the horizon is gone. Like a mirrored shield, it almost blinds them, and then it is no more. What do you think that was, brother? Eris says. A sign, Aristos replies. A sign from Apollo. Perhaps he smiles upon us on this day. And then they see something else in the distance, something darker. Obsidian walls that almost look as though they've been polished. They tower above the sea, and then they find canals that lead beyond the obsidian walls and deeper inside the island. The ship's crew becomes concerned, and they ask if a new course should be plotted away from this foreboding place. But Eris, looking out on those obsidian walls, says, 
No, we must go in there. There are deeds to be done, and secrets to be discovered beyond those obsidian walls. Aristos nods in agreement and says, Yes, my sister speaks true. Forward, into the canals, and let the gods bring us what trials they may. As their ship passes into the channels, they quickly lose their bearings and are lost. The sailors guess at the correct path through the maze, but after a few turnings, it's obvious that the mist that stymies their travel at sea has followed them even here, ever pressing behind, making retreat, withdrawal, impossible. The only escape must be at the heart of the labyrinth. And then Eris and Aristos cock their heads and listen. Do you hear that, brother? Singing? I hear it, sister. There is some creature within singing a strange song that I feel in my very bones is taunting me, taunting us. It is some forgotten tongue, perhaps of the gods themselves, but I can hear its taunting. We have to find our way within. We have to find that voice and discover what secrets it holds. Yes, I agree, brother. Let us go. As we turn to our first contest, we have to navigate the labyrinth. I think it makes sense for them to attempt to navigate through craft and reason, because there are mists, there are tall walls of obsidian that obscure their view of the horizon, and in order to get through this maze, this labyrinth, it's going to take careful calculation and insight. So we are going to navigate with craft and reason against the labyrinth. Eris is going to lead this as she has a d8 in her craft and reason. And she is maybe, uh, maybe she climbs up into the rigging and she is trying to see further with her sharp eyes. And she is gazing out into the mists and hoping to see some, some glint of light, some opening of a path that will lead them towards the heart of this labyrinth. So the labyrinth is a D8. Get a D8 for it being twisting, a D8 for sheer walls, and a D6 because it is ancient. I'm going to roll these, uh, and then we're going to add the strife level to the highest die. See what happens. So a six is my highest die, which means that our target number is 11 for a craft and reason contest. Who 
will take on this contest. Now to build my player dice pool, I will speak my name. So Eris steps forward to engage this contest. So I'll take a D6 for my name. The epithet shadow wise. Well, we are trying to navigate through a labyrinth. So I feel like shadow wise would be useful for that. So I'll take another D6 for the epithet. And then domain. Her domain is craft and reason. So we'll take the D8 for that. So that gives me a D6, a D6, and a D8. I could also call on a bond with Aristos or Hecate to add a die to the pool and mark off that bond. I could mark Pathos, which is kind of like a harm track in order to roll an additional domain. Or I could spend a divine favor, which is one of my divine favors uh, from one of the gods, in order to add a d4 to my final result. But I think for this, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to roll my three dice and see what happens. But before I do that, clear-voiced Aristos also steps forward and takes a d6 for his name, a d6 for his voice, as I think he is at the prow calling out directions, and then a d6 for his craft and reason. Neither of them are going to call on divine favor, so we should roll the dice. We're trying to equal or better the target number of 11. So, Eris will go first here. I've got a 7, a 1, and a 4. So, I discard the 1. The 7 and 4 get added together for an 11, which equals the target number. Now we roll 3d6 for Aristos. A six and a six and a two. That's going to be 12 total for the two highest. So both prevail, but Aristos got the best. So what happens? They're cutting through this canal and the mists have closed in again around them. And up in the crow's nest, in the rigging, Eris is staring out and she is calling down to her brother. She sees shadows playing in the mists and she calls to the navigator to turn away from them. They're trying to lure them deeper and deeper. And then down below, Aristos is holding on to the bow and looking out over the water and he sees things moving in the in the water below and he is also calling out directions as he can see jagged pieces of obsidian jutting up from beneath the surface of the water and together the twins guide their ship through this opening canal the best hero that would be Aristos, because he got the highest number, gains glory equal to the target number. So the target number was 11, 
So he is going to gain 11 glory. And glory is basically your way of building up experience and it will over time as you gain glory it will increase the die that you roll for your name as you attain glory and your legend grows heroes who prevailed but don't get the highest roll earn half the amount of glory that's rounded up so eris will still gain six glory off of this contest and then because they have successfully navigated through the labyrinth they're going to get a d10 advantage die on the next trial so the maze seems endless days slip into weeks into what feels like months and years as the ship slowly draws towards the center of this labyrinth. The ship and crew are running dangerously low on supplies, and Eris and Aristos must enforce strict rationing among the crew, or else they will slip into want and privation. This is another contest once again against the labyrinth itself and this will be a resolve and spirit contest so because aristos was the best on that previous contest he is going to lead this he is going to deal with this contest and eris will back him up on it and so once again we will build our dice pool for this contest. The labyrinth is a D8. It is twisting, another D8. Sheer walled, another D8. And a D6, because it is ancient. Let's see what our target number is going to be. A seven on the D8 plus five is a 12. So it is getting harder as they continue deeper into the labyrinth. Who will face this contest? Clear-voiced Aristos steps forward. He will face this contest. He has a d6 for his name, a d6 for his epithet, and a d6 for resolve and spirit. But he also gets a d10 as an advantage die. Shadowwise Eris, daughter of Hecate, will also face this challenge. She also has a d6 for epithet and name. And her resolve and spirit are also a d6. I'm going to roll Aristos first. Remember, I'm rolling a d10 advantage die, and I keep my best two. So on the D6s, I've got a 3, 4, and a 5. On the D10, I rolled a 9. So I'm going to keep the 9 and the 5 for a 14 for Aristos. So he succeeds on this contest. Eris has 3D6. But I think there's a question to ask the fate chart. Would she call on divine favor of the gods? Ingenuity, perhaps, from Hephaestus? 
in order to cause their rations to stretch farther? I think it's likely that she would. So I'm going to roll 75 or less is a yes. 21. Yes, she does. So I'm going to mark off that point of divine favor. And then I'm also going to roll a D4 with my 3D6 roll. The D4 gets added on top of the two best dice as part of the divine favor. So here we go. I rolled a two, a five, and a six, and then I rolled a three, which is going to be 11 plus three is 14. So they both scored 14, which means they both are the best, but there must be a conquering hero in every contest. So we're going to roll the name die between them to see who is the best. Eris will be a d6. I've got a dark, shadowy d6 for Eris. And then I've got a, a clear, beautiful gray d6 for Aristos. Aristos, once again, outshines his sister. A two and a six. So they overcome this contest. And how did they do that? As they are facing gaunt, hungry sailors who are imploring them, please, please let us eat. Let us eat these rations. Maybe they even catch some fish that are swimming in the the waters beneath them, but there's something strange and, and wrong about those fish. There's something in their, their skin that glitters with that black obsidian like the walls. And Shadowwise Eris looks at it and says, No, no, my friends. No, we cannot eat what comes of this island. We must stick with our own rations. We must hold fast. We must be brave. And I think maybe on a dark day when the crew is is at their limit, Eris calls out to the gods and maybe sees a flock of birds flying overhead. Then she pulls out her bow and draws it back and takes aim and she fires and brings down a bird onto the ship, onto the deck of the ship. And then that flock of birds, it doesn't fly away from them. It, it turns and it comes by for another pass and she takes another shot and it, and it does that again and again. Three times these birds pass and three arrows arc up into the sky and strike down birds and they have food for another few days. And while this is going on, that ever-present song is in the background. It is echoing through these labyrinthine obsidian-walled canals and Aristo standing at the helm says, my friends, be not discouraged. I know there is hunger in our bellies, but think of the glory that is beyond us. 
in the heart of this place. Stand firm and stand with us, with my sister and I. Know that you will make it through this endeavor. You will survive this passage if you stay true to us. Food and water are concerns of the flesh, but we seek a greater height. We seek glory. And they achieve it. Twelve glory for Aristos, and six for Eris. As the crew tightens their belts, they stretch their rations farther and farther. And they go deeper and deeper into the labyrinth. It is after these days, weeks, months, maybe even, the mists begin to clear just a little bit, just enough that they can make out along these obsidian walls, scratches, markings left on the walls. Perhaps they are stories of those who were lost here before. Epitaphs written in a forgotten tongue. Maybe they are memories, hopes, dreams of those who came before. And now they are lost to time. But that which is lost can be recovered. That which is forgotten can be remembered. If only there are heroes brave enough to try. Will clear-voiced Aristos and shadow-wise Eris try to remember those who were lost? Will they try to uncover the secrets of those who came before? Will they make it to the heart of this labyrinth and discover this song that is being hauntingly sung? We'll just have to find out next week. Thanks for listening to Errant Adventures, and thanks so much to Tabletop Audio for the lovely ambient sounds and music throughout the episode. If you enjoyed the show, please spread the word, and if you want to support the show directly, leave me a review or buy me a coffee at ko-fi.com slash errantadventures. If you want to interact with me, I'm at errantsolopod on Twitter and Instagram, or you can email me at errantsolopod at gmail.com. I also post campaign-related materials on my website, errantadventurespod.com. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next time.